going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. It is another episode of Going Deep. We go deep on all things football as we get you set for a wild card weekend, super wild card weekend in the NFL. And it has been a super wild week with so many different coaches making news, whether they are being hired or fired or retired. So we're going to break into all of that with our first guest who helps us synthesize our understanding of sports via the numbers. She does a great job with her models and projections. She projected Michigan winning the national championship. And so she's got a projection out in terms of what she expects to happen in the pro ranks in the national football league. I don't know about you, but once we get to the conference championships, even the divisional round, I think I have a pretty good idea of who is going to win what this is the weekend that I find tough because sometimes the home team has a worse record than the road team, but home matters so much in football. You've got teams who have played totally different schedules facing off in a winner's take home matchup, but also some of the data that you look at for teams over the balance of the year is somewhat skewed because either players are not playing at this time of year because they're hurt, they're playing hurt, or they didn't play in earlier matchups because they came off the street like Joe Flacco. How do you make sense of any of this? Our next guest is going to help us. That is Cynthia Freeland, the NFL's analytics expert who's going to help us all become an expert on wildcard weekend. Let's listen to and learn from Cynthia Freeland as we go deep on the NFL. So Cynthia, thank you for taking the time at a busy time Every time I check my favorite social media apps, it seems like another iconic coaching uh, person is either available or no longer coaching and available. What have you made of what has been a wild start to the offseason for some franchises and a very different, you know, Black Monday, Tuesday than what we've been accustomed to? Well, you got to add that all the way into Thursday this week. We got felt like a bombshell every single day with yesterday, Pete Carroll, Thursday, Bill Belichick. I mean, it was kind of amazing. And I mean, even Nick Saban in the college ranks totally shaped the, our world. It just feels so different um, in, in, in one week. So I don't expect some of these guys to be available for long. It feels like the way Pete Carroll's contract was structured, where he's going to stay on as an advisor, that he won't be somewhere else, but you know, I, I would anticipate, I think Bill tries to get the record somewhere else. I think Mike Vrabel doesn't stay jobless for long, and we see a nice reshuffling of the deck here. Now, I feel bad for Ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick, Aaron Glenn, Eric Bieniemy, who are all thinking, I, I've, I've worked to be 
you know, the the next person to get a call, and now all of a sudden there are so much uh, demand for uh, these legendary names. There's also the aspect of timing. As you know, people want to have these roles filled and then to start to fill out staffs, but given some of the coaches who are still working and given some of the rules in terms of when you can conduct these interviews, how do you think this will play out given that there are candidates coming from different scenarios and types of football? Well, first and foremost, it's interesting because these kind of, obviously Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel are known as defensive coaches, which is interesting. And I'm a Lions fan, so I'm totally fine for everyone to keep their grubby paws off of Ben Johnson. Um, so, you know, I just want him to stay there, which is selfish, but you know, I, I'm, I'm joking, but uh, you got an extra year. Of, this was the bonus year that you got. He could have been gone last year. I know. I just, I'm, I'm, gosh, I just don't want him to go, but anyways, he deserves it. So, okay, whatever. I'll get past it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that it's, it's interesting because it really depends. It feels like a lot of the places where we've already seen, like with Carolina, with Tennessee, with Atlanta, they're casting a really wide net. Like even I don't know if I if if I were the brass there, I don't know if I'd want to be doing eleven interviews for GMs and eleven interviews for coaches. It just feels like that's a lot. Like paralysis by too many decisions to make, right? So it it feels like that wide net and all of the different kind of aspects will probably lead to at least a few places taking risks on like, you know, like who's this year's D'Amico Ryans, meaning a guy that like maybe it's Antonio Pierce, who's like proven himself, but the former player, it's interesting. It'll, it'll be interesting to see some of these places are far more attractive job offers than others. Like I just don't see Bill Belichick going to a team like Carolina, for example, or maybe even, I don't, I don't, I don't see Bill Belichick. It just doesn't seem like a fit everywhere there's a lot of i mean tennessee that's a complete rebuild so it'll be it'll be interesting to see i just hope some of these guys like ben johnson who i obviously like you know get a chance to enact their strategies meaning you know i don't know if the contract length for a bill belichick is going to be like that's going to be a long one right like 60 or something crazy like that whereas like some of these first year first time head coaches they don't get the benefit of having the long-term contract meaning they've got a, a shorter fr- window to, to really prove themselves. You talked about Detroit and I don't know if there's been over the last couple off seasons, a better fit in terms of coach organization, roster and community than Dan Campbell in Detroit. Sometimes with these hires, I look at them and I think, are you hiring a play caller or are you hiring a, a leader? If there's one thing I, some of these owners and front offices could learn from the Campbell fit in Detroit, which wasn't an obvious choice at the time. What would it be? Probably to hire good coordinators. I mean, there's a reason that both the offensive and defensive coordinators are getting significant looks. And it's not, and I, I wouldn't even say that Detroit has a, a very good defense. I mean, I look at what CD lamb did to them and there's been, obviously they've had injuries, but they really only have one true reliable pass rusher. They've been getting a little more out of it, but you know, there's a reason why Detroit's ahead of schedule. And I think it's because everyone knows their role. You know, I think Dan Campbell doesn't try to overly meddle in any one particular area, but he has his hands in all of them just enough to enact the personality of the team, the grit that he's instilled in this team. 
and really have it permeate through the entire organization. So I think what he's done that's very masterful, and I will take the I will take the L here where I was like, I don't know what's going to happen here. When he first got hired, I was like, this feels not like like I don't I don't know what to think. Obviously, he's very different from Matt Patricia, but I I didn't know how to what to make of it. But what I think happened here is he did a really nice job of empowering people to do their job, but helping them along the way, which is what true leaders do and what true organizations who have a winning, you know, Bill Belichick kind of does that. I know he's known for defense, but, you know, obviously he had his hands in certain areas and let people go in others. And everybody likes to be empowered in every career. So it just seems like that that's probably why they're a bit ahead of schedule. They are, but they will be a bit hampered in the offseason because tight end rookie sensation Sam Laporta, uh, you know, in what for me was meaningless football, uh, got injured. I feel like sometimes staffs need a VP of common sense just to be like, ah, do we do we need this guy in this rep right now? This game is uh, out of hand. I, I, I yeah. know you can't ask Dan Campbell not to, to Dan Campbell. He's going to go for it a thousand times in a row and play his guys. Um, but, but how crucial is uh, that loss? It's a big loss. I mean, the Lions defense has a ton of vulnerabilities. They do get C.J. Gardner-Johnson back, which is great. Um, that's a huge win for them. Philadelphia absolutely knows what that's all about. But the reality is, is, this offense needs to overcome the defense. The defense isn't great. Not yet. They're a few years away from being great. Maybe a year away. It depends on who they draft. But, you know, being able to have a diversity of Sam Laporta, Amon Ross St. Brown, and, I mean, even Khalif Raymond getting hurt was a problem because every one of those pass catchers plays a role and a crucial role in an offense that's really figured out a way to balance the run and the pass really masterfully i mean the way that they use the two different running backs sometimes to block actually to run sometimes sometimes to catch passes and leverage that explosiveness from jameer gibbs for example it only works if you have all the pieces working together so that type of offense what they're trying to do the different plays available to them in the playbook become far more limited if there's no laporta who is setting rookie tight end records and being a guy who you know obviously is a very special asset to that team you are known so well for projecting what may or may not happen given the NFL data science that you take and make it from very complicated to something that's palatable for uh, dummies like me. You did a great job in breaking down what we might see and did see in the national championship game in college football in super wild card weekend. I have to emphasize the super what are you looking at in terms of some of the numbers that might dictate the, the outcomes we see this weekend? You know, it's interesting because there's so many great storylines, and it's funny how some of them, I mean, some of them matter and some of them don't, right? Like, for example, Tyreek Hill returning to Arrowhead. I would love to see that. Obviously, we know what happens when they're a little bit more healthy on, you know, on the Dolphins side of this equation. We saw it in Germany, but you know, I would love to actually see a second matchup. I think Mike McDaniel is really powerful with all of that. But the problem is, is they're just too banged up. They're, I mean, on both sides of the ball, there's just so many question marks, so many things that are 
up in the air there. So that one's kind of, I don't want to say a bummer because if you're a Kansas City fan, it's not a bummer. But I would like to have seen like full full blast of both because I think that KC defense is epic. And I think this year, and I think that obviously what we've seen from the explosiveness of Miami's offense is really, really admirable as well. But I, I you know, I'm, I'm really kind of low-key fascinated with what happens with C.J. Stroud and the Texans in the rematch with the Browns. Remember, last time they played each other, C.J. Stroud wasn't playing. He was injured. So I want to see what happens when the guy that could maybe exploit that linebacker level of the Browns, which this is the number one passing defense. This is a team who gets so much pressure on quarterbacks. This is a team who's really special on defense, you know, especially. That's going to be interesting to see in this matchup, too. And, again, the, the Texans are way ahead of schedule, so they're just playing with house money. And maybe that could make them loose. It could make them dangerous. We know they're willing to take risks. I mean, look at the first play of last week's game, 75-yarder to Nico Collins. Like, I don't know if anyone expected that, but you know what? Bobby Sloak's out there slanging it. So he's telling them, he's telling C.J. Stroud the right things, and they've really, Stroud's just been really special this season in what is likely his offensive rookie of the year, you know, performance. Uh, I love that you mentioned that Casey Miami matchup because I'm so curious when you're making your projections and looking at the models and you know, digging into the numbers, I, I, I love to use data to make decisions. I think that's just being logical, but also I know that it's a game of, of intangibles and of factors like weather. How do you weigh in things like it's going to be negative temperatures when these two teams kick off or the fact that Tyreek, you know, is going to want to show out going back to KC for the first time since the rematch earlier in the year was in Munich. Yeah. I mean, the best you can do is really what the numbers do are help provide a framework based on what has happened in the past. So if you see things like, like it is truly like Tyreek Hill is not going to be impacted by the weather, but Tua could be right. Like, because he doesn't have as much experience playing in that inclement of climate. And also, you know, where they're practicing does matter, how they've, how they've constructed. The bigger factor, though, is, like, if you look at the split safety shells that the Chiefs have really masterfully put out and their secondary being so good at figuring out – I mean, Trent McDuffie has come on really strong. By the way, he played at Washington. He's his second season here in Kansas City. He knows what the cold is like, right? Like, things like that. Legereus Sneed, he's had an epic year as well. He's kind of a risk taker, a little bit of a gambler. When you have fewer offensive weapons, it's easier to make a smarter gamble because you don't have Jalen, maybe Jalen Waddle. If, if Jalen Waddle plays, he's not 100%. We know that, right? So, you know, it's like you don't have all of the different, you know, potential guys coming after you. And by the way, the offensive line for Miami, they're banged up too. So, some of the things you can rely on in bad weather, run game, O-line play, the trenches, right? Like what happens in the trenches? That is something that's more stable over a lot of period of data and like long-term historical data than others. And unfortunately for Miami, they're missing their three best defensive, well, three of their best defensive front guys and their O-line's banged up. So the trench play and potentially Raheem Mostert not there, run game, trench play, that is more reliable in cold weather than some of these other things. So, Unfortunately for them, that's just like where all these injuries are punishing them the most. Let's cast ahead because there are two teams sitting at home resting and they were better over the balance of the season. And that's why I, I always find that, you know, this weekend we get in love with these teams. We think they're so good. We're so impressed. And then they 
advance and they play the teams who had a buy. And we're like, oh yeah, I remember why they're so good and they're at home. It's because they were better. Um, but over the last couple of years, we've only had two teams, one in each uh, conference, not four with the buy. How has that advantage impacted the way you project teams likelihood to get to the Super Bowl and eventually win it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really big deal. I mean, having two teams with buys really didn't give, like, the difference between being the one seed and the two seed then became very minimal. I mean, obviously, one home game different is a, is a big deal. But, you know, if you're looking at things when, when you have to get your seeding, then you're really doing the you're really doing the, the calculus of do I strategically rest people in week at that time, 17, right? Like, and then what do we do? To, it, you're really, you're really focused on is two weeks off better than one week off. You know, it's better for you if you have guys who are actually injured that are needing a little bit of extra time to get back into it. So now it, it's really getting that one by is massive getting that number. I mean, especially for a team, both teams that got it this season, I mean, you, you've got the old line for the Ravens was like not banged up enough to not play, but like banged up. And then Christian McCaffrey, who I could make a very strong argument is the league MVP this season. Christian McCaffrey, he hurt himself a little bit and he got a little, he got a little tweaked in week 17. So now he gets two weeks off. Super, super important because as much as it feels like these teams are power, these two teams are powerhouses and have just this massive advantage over the others in a one game sample size, that is not as big of an advantage as it might seem. But again, having advancing to next week is a huge deal. The one that one extra week of having no game is has proven to be very very important. Given that, it is no surprise that you are projecting the two teams most likely to make it to the Super Bowl. The teams with the one seed, San Francisco. And Baltimore, but our listeners might be surprised that you give San Francisco a slightly higher percentage to win the Super Bowl. Now, is that because their path via the NFC yes. is a bit easier than it is the AFC? Or would you change? 100%. So, would you change that, assuming they both make it there, in terms of who you'd like in a game between those two one seeds? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, what that says is their path to the Super Bowl. So if you look at the numbers, because I, I give two separate sets of numbers in my recent article, one is their chance to win the NFC, and then the, one, and then the next number is a chance to win the Super Bowl. And if you look to see the chance to win the NFC and win the Super Bowl, both higher for, for the Niners, meaning like if you look at they've got almost double the amount of, of probability as the next closest team, which happens to be the Cowboys, obviously the number two seed. Then if you look at the AFC, there's three teams that really fall within about a 20 percentage point range. And that means that the Bills and the Chiefs are more likely, they're, they're stronger teams, more likely to knock off the Ravens than it would be on the other side for either the Lions or the Cowboys to knock off the 49ers. It just reflects a greater chance of the Niners making it. If they, the two matched up, assuming no injuries to either team, which is the only thing I could do with projections, then the Ravens would be favored in a Super Bowl in Las Vegas against the 49ers if they got there, if that makes sense. It makes, shows to- you that the AFC is a more difficult, a more difficult conference. Makes total sense. You know, sometimes when you're making sense of these numbers, because you do know numbers and analytics, but you also know ball, are there times, and is there one given, you know, what you have set up for the playoffs, 
where you look at the numbers, they check out, but just in your gut, like that doesn't feel right. I wouldn't go that way with my own hard-earned money, even though that's what the data is telling me. Oh, very often. And that's why you do it blind, because we all have in our head, we all have like this, like, this mental image of what we either think or what we what we think is impossible or what we think is less likely. It's good to have the data to create the framework so that you can kind of gut check yourself, right? Like don't fall in love with your own data, but also don't hate your own data, right? Like the the truth is is if you were to use this data for to to call a play, like you know, in the Super Bowl, Doug Peterson, he has one of the best analytics person people ever and he brought him down to Jacksonville with him, but you know, that the Philly Philly play, the Philly special play was the lower probability play, but everyone knew it. And that's okay, right? Sometimes you take the lower probability thing because your gut says to. You just it's better to know what the framework is so that you can work off the framework as opposed to just like, you know, rolling the dice every single time, right? Like having a little bit of an understanding of where your gut doesn't line up and and really maybe gut checking yourself a little bit. But but that's that's like everyone in every business, right? Should I advertise to these people? Should I whatever? And you have to sort of gut check the numbers with your data. But it's always good to have a framework so you can either agree with or disagree with your, you know, your decision. You've you got to make a decision based on having sort of a, a framework to, to make it on. Well, you're making so many positive decisions and helping us be educated about the sport, but also helping some of us make money via the sport, which is not the end of the world. And before I let you go, I, I want to talk about... You, your role, your career, your ascension a, a little bit. I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't. I remember talking to a television executive, uh, you know, that was female, and talked to her about how she convinced people in the boardroom to do things, all of which were, were old white men, uh, given, you know, some of the things against her. And she said, I have the data on my side. People can't argue with numbers. And I, I just wonder, your role and representation are so important but sadly, we, we don't see a lot of women in STEM, and we don't get to see them in roles like the one that you've carved out for yourself in STEM in relation to, to getting into sports. What has that journey been like for you, and why is it important for us to push uh, everyone, in, including young women, into STEM? Well, I think a diversity of opinions is, really a recipe for, you can see it, and there's, I went to business school, so there's a bunch of case studies that show you that having diverse opinions in your decision-making room in general produces a higher return on investment, a higher profit margin, higher ability to create certain things. Obviously, it's not true for every industry, meaning like, you know, if you're trying to sell like, you know, something that is very, like, you, you need it to look a certain whatever, but it, it's, it holds true for, for things like sports. The number of people who watch sports between women and men, that number is, like, pretty much 50-50. It's a little more than, it's in the, the high 40s for women. You know, it's, it's not like your audience is just a bunch of men. You're also appealing to women. And I think that the, the hardest part that I've had to overcome or the people that I know, the women I know, kind of in my sort of like generation of women in this, in this industry is, you know, that we're, <laughs> people are risk averse. Like the, our bosses, they're, they worked really hard to get where they are. They worked in an era where you kind of have this like unconscious bias. And then now the margins are consolidating sports in a lot of ways. You see people getting laid off. You see things kind of, you know, we don't know who's going to quote unquote win the streaming wars. We don't know 
in for sports at least, right? We we don't know how it's all going to pan out. So it actually triggers people to become increasingly risk averse. They're scared. And then the people who, in my opinion, win and earn more money are the ones who at least take some risks that make sense. And then they pivot quickly. And that goes for men, women, everything. But it becomes more tricky in this era to, you know, before the, the argument could be, you know, she's never played before. So how would we, why would we put her, why, would, why don't you know anything about football? And now it's more like we only have three roles left and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, these consolidating margins make people even more scared. So it, it's, it's a, I don't know the right answer, but I do know that, you know, hard work and getting really lucky and finding the right mentors and asking them for advice and then taking it. That's to me, the best recipe you can have and really understanding your mission statement and staying true to it. Meaning, you know, I want to redefine, like, I don't want to ever do a hot take. I want to redefine how people are talking about numbers on TV and I'll help other women as much as I can, but they got to give me a little something too. You know, they, it can't be just about like the clothes or the makeup or whatever. It's about, you know, <laughs> tell me what you know about split safety shells, like figure it out so that we can, we can all move forward together. Well, I did play uh, football and the two people I learned the most from about the sport uh, is yourself and Mina Kimes. So thank you for uh, continuing to educate all of us, whether we came into it with a high degree of knowledge or none at all, uh, because it makes the games much more fun when we're educated about them. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And by the way, it should always be fun. It's sports. <laughs> that was Cynthia Freeland, the NFL network analytics expert. And you heard there why she is considered an expert. She knows ball and knows numbers. And she helped me know who I want to pick this weekend in my various fantasy pools. Because it's pretty close in a lot of these matchups. I'm unsure, but I feel better about it now after talking to her. Hopefully you feel the same. If you want more information from her, well, you can see her on the NFL Network. Obviously, you can give her a follow at C-F-R-E-L-U-N-D. At C Freeland is her handle on X. On IG, it's at Cynthia Freeland and follow at Numbers Game as well, where she's breaking down her propriety numbers and projections and models right there. And if you want to play along with her and make your own picks, at Pretty Good Picks is the place to do it. That website is picks.prettygoodpicks.com. Speaking of picks, as I mentioned, I have too many football fantasy pools ongoing. And I'm the person who does multiple entries because I got to hedge my bet. Speaking of analytics, I got to give myself multiple shots. So it can be costly, but it keeps me engaged and keeps me having fun. As she mentioned, sports should be fun. Well, uh, someone who I have fun with all the time is show Ali. He has an article on sportsnet.ca about his wild cards for Wild Card Weekend, his X-Factors, if you will. We're going to catch up with show after the break. In the meantime, while you wait, go to our show notes because the article that Cynthia referenced, it is hyperlinked right there. Talk soon. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Gondi with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you.
Thank you, Grandma and Granddad. I am joined by Sho, who has an article coming out for Sportsnet.ca on the X factors in this weekend's Super. Don't forget the Super Wild Card weekend. I'm not sure why it's more Super than the previous ones. I guess because we have an additional game. And then obviously I want to get your POV on the legacy of the iconic coaches who just decided, yeah, let's all just call it quits at the same time. Although I guess they're very different circumstances. One was told, that was Pete Carroll. One decided for himself, that was Nick Saban. And then Bill Belichick, I guess, kind of was told and decided. We'll see as reporting continues to come out of um, one Patriot way as to what happened exactly there. I think that's what the address of the building is. I think so. Is. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but first, let's talk about your X factors. Uh, who you got for me? So I, I was asked, essentially, Donovan, to pick one X factor from every game this weekend. Okay. And I kind of wanted to pick one from every team, but I think that piece would have been far too long for the web. So we, we went with uh, one guy from every game. Uh, you can go a number of different ways. Here, let me get your take on this one. This is actually for the Monday night or Eagles Buccaneers. And I decided to not go with a player, but in oh. fact, with a coach. Big Dom. Matt Patricia. Oh, okay. Matt Patricia is the not defensive coordinator. He's a defensive play caller. Sean Desai is, in fact, I think he's, I think he still retains the title of defensive coordinator, but does not call the plays and is not I on mean, the field. It's kind of confusing. Is that like Gwyneth Paltrow say? saying we consciously uncoupled like right. he broke up like <laughs> what are you talking about the, the, he's not the defensive coordinator he's the defensive play caller it's bizarre it's a bizarre distinction that's one of those like corporate jobs where we we can't give you the director title so we're gonna call you a lead and just give you the same role but not as much money like sure whatever they both suck anyways patricia has a chance to perhaps do the funniest thing when it comes to this weekend's NFL slate of games, because you mentioned the coaching carousel, which we can talk about, but it it kind of feels like despite the fact that the Eagles are coming off a Super Bowl run last year, and they started what 10 and one this year, then lost five of their last six games. And they, they shut down the Buccaneers offense back in week three. So this is a rematch of a game that already happened this year. And Sean Desai, when he was the defensive coordinator, actually calling the plays down to the defense held Baker Mayfield and the Bucks to 174 yards of offense. And now Matt Patricia has been given the reins. I, I feel like the, the reason I picked him as the X factor is because he's either going to shut down Baker Mayfield and, and, and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Rashad white and all these guys who've had phenomenal offensive years. And by the way, Mike Evans, who's is still not gone under a thousand yards receiving ever, I guess is still just one of the wildest streaks to start a player's career. But Matt Patricia is going to have his hands full for a, for a defense that has struggled so mightily. Like the last time we saw them, they struggled in the last two games against the giants and the Cardinals in the last couple of games of the season. And now Matt Patricia is calling, calling plays Donovan. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure what to expect, honestly, out of this game. Yeah. I, listen, they have no sacks by an edge rusher in the last month of the season. They've allowed seven TDs in the last 19 possessions. In the last six quarters, they've been out, scored 56 to 10 to two teams, as you rightfully mentioned, that are both going to pick top five in the draft. This is a bad defense on a bad football team. What I don't love about the Patricia conversation, because if they perform well Mm -hmm. against a not amazing Tampa Bay 
offense. People will be like, see, Matt Patricia, pencil in the ear, he's calling those plays. Imagine if he was coordinating them as well. <laughs> and then if it doesn't go well, they're going to say, well, listen, his defensive style and scheme is entirely different. He is working left-handed. He's taking over uh, defense that's already been installed. You got to give him his own training camp, his own off-season program to fully judge him. I, I'm sure he's going to end up on you know Bill Belichick's staff, wherever Bill Belichick lands. But Matt Patricia, outside of one year, has never really shown to be a good defensive play caller or coordinator. So we'll see what he does in this one game. I love that for next factor. Who do you got for us in the other games? Uh, for the Sunday games, I it's funny. I, I've done this series for Sportsnet.ca. I think this is the third or fourth year I've done it. And a lot of the times when the Bills have been in the playoffs, this is the fourth straight year that they have won the division. And I think almost every year I've picked Gabe Davis. Well, <laughs> it's it's uh, pretty much impossible, I think, to pick Gabe Davis this weekend, if only because he sprained the PCL. He probably won't play, but he, he's I don't think he's practiced all week. So it's a, it's tough to pick him, but... In his absence, I am really interested to see what Khalil Shakir is going to do for this offense. I, I kind of wanted to pick Dalton Kincaid, but he has become more of an integral part to this offense, even with the return of Dawson Knox. And we all know what to expect out of Stephon Diggs. But Gabe Davis went down, and in his absence in the last game, Khalil Shakir caught six passes for over 100 yards. So I he's a speedy guy, and I, I do wonder what his presence against a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that is also missing TJ Watt, what that'll do for Josh Allen, because you know he's going to throw the ball like a bazillion times in this game. Love that one. Going against the Steelers, no TJ Watt. Going to have a little bit more time uh, not dealing with that Steelers pass rush to get the ball deep down the field. He's a burner, and I personally love that one because it's someone I would have forgotten. I am in, in many, far too many. Fantasy playoff pool. Okay. But one of the ones that I'm in is essentially a weekly roster. You you, you pick the players who you think is going to score well. You get the points uh, for them, but then you can't pick them next week. It's got to be a little bit strategic in terms of what teams are going to advance, who do you think is going to play well against what matchup. It's a big money pool with lots of people. I was brought into this pool by one Ricky Romero. Okay. So I was going to say cab, but uh. no, no, no. As much as cab talks about gambling, uh, he, he's more of an active, like, you know, I'm going to a sports book person okay, right. and less of a, you know, the, the community pool where I'm, I'm the opposite. But as, as I'm scrolling through the list of people, you know, competing in this pool, you know, you'll randomly see like, you know, MLB pitcher X or, you know, uh, utility baseball player Y. So it's, it's somewhat random uh, how I found myself in this thing. But my point is when you go on the website, essentially it, it just sorts for who had the best regular season. Right. Right. So you got to really scroll to find someone like Shakir and everyone's going to have CD lamb, right? Everyone's right. going to have Amon Ross St. Brown. Like, of course you are, but I think you've given me a gem. That I can burn in the first round and keep some of those options. So thank you, show. This has been very personally productive. Who do you got? Well, Next. let me give you let me give you two more okay. for the, the other Sunday games. Let's we got go. Packers, Cowboys. Your your Cowboys. Is Mike McCarthy gonna gonna uh, you know not lay an egg against his former team? We'll see. And uh, the Rams Lions, which has a lot of fun uh, aspects to it. The return of Stafford to Ford Field. Two revenge games. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the it's a strong weekend for the you know, the hashtag narratives. I'm very <laughs> excited uh, for Packers Cowboys. Um, it was, this one was a little tougher because I really wanted to pick someone from the Packers offense and 
I mean, you, you and Marchese have talked about it a lot on the fan checkdown, but super young team, Jordan Love throwing for over 4,000 yards, Christian Watson after having a great end of the year last year, not so much a factor this year because of the hamstring injury that has lingered for a huge chunk of the season. I picked Jaden Reed for the Packers. And I I know it's that one's a little more closer on the chalk side, just because in down the stretch, he like essentially has been their star, but Jaden Reed, I think is really interesting because AJ Dillon has struggled with injuries and beyond the fact that Jaden Reed is used a lot in the passing game. So is Dontavian Wicks certainly, but uh, AJ Dillon, if he doesn't play, it kind of makes me wonder if they might not also use Jaden Reed in the running game because they have done that a little bit. Uh, he has a couple of rushing touchdowns. I think he has 10 total touchdowns on the season, eight through the air and two on the ground. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, maybe in week 14 or 15, a lot of end around sweeps, jet sweeps. He's used in motion a lot, like kind of like a running back. So it's it's almost like Debo Samuel light. For Jaden Reed, and I think he's going to be used a lot in a lot of very unique ways against a Cowboys defense that's playing at home where they're undefeated. I'm currently just changing my fantasy roster, thanks to you. Like, that's <laughs> another nice one that might not be super obvious. Someone who I think will go off, but also go home afterwards and lose, which is you perfect. <laughs> so I do hope, certainly. Uh, so thank you. That's a good one. Really good one. Love how you, you broke into the scheme in terms of how he might be utilized in the offense. Who else you got for us? I will wrap up on this one for me uh, from the X factors piece Rams lions. I, I badly wanted to pick Dan Campbell, but I decided to go with a, a player. Uh, I, I ended up going with a Rams player. And again, I really wanted to pick Puka or Kyron Williams, but these guys are, they're, they're kind of like stars now. It's mm-hmm. essentially they're have just ridiculous seasons. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun watching them play. Demarcus Robinson is where I went with the Rams primarily because I'm not sure what we're going to get from Cooper cup. In the playoffs, I mean, it's still Cooper Cup. He's still obviously a very productive player, but not to the same degree he has been. It's the couple of years ago when he people were talking about should Cooper Cup be in the MVP race, for example. And Demarcus Robinson, since and he hasn't played the whole year, but since Stafford has begun looking his way a little bit more, he's kind of operated as that safety valve since the beginning of week 14. I think he scored a touchdown in every game but one. He's been seeing a boatload of targets. I just. I think you, DeMarcus Robinson's a Super Bowl champion. He's played with Patrick Mahomes. He had the one year in Baltimore, and this is his first year in, in Los Angeles. And it just, you talked about this with Marchese as well, but the Rams are one of those teams, Donovan, that they had to get production from guys like DeMarcus Robinson because they were strapped with the cap. They don't have a lot of draft capital. And they, I mean, all those things paid off for them because they won the Super Bowl just a couple of seasons ago, but they needed to hit on the few draft picks they had and the few free agents they could sign. And they essentially did all of those things, which is very impressive. So I, uh, I do think along those lines, along with Puka and along with Kyron, I think, uh, I think DeMarcus Robinson's in for a big game against a alliance team that has a very good pass rush, but less so on the back end. Done and done. I got another receiver. Put him in my flex spot. Thank you show. This is outstanding. Uh, I will look back at this and you will either have won me my fantasy league or have lost it for me. So uh, viewers (laughs) keep an eye out on how these players do and keep an eye out for show's story on sportsnet.ca dropping when a dropping, I believe on Friday. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, you probably listening to this and it's probably already out. So uh, make sure you check that out. I got a couple uh, stats for you on the three legendary coaches uh, who had big news uh, earlier this week. First, we'll start with, a former Patriot coach, 
well, I guess two of them are former Patriot coach, but former Patriot coach before he was USC coach, before he was Seahawks coach, Pete Carroll, who leaves as the winningest coach in Seahawks history. I don't know how much competition there is. Like, you know, who, it was him and who, Jim Zorn. Uh, he won the only title for said Seahawks, hence why there isn't that much competition, but is one of only three coaches. And I was surprised that the number was so small. To win a title in college mm-hmm. and a title in the NFL is, is Pete Carroll. So there he is. Uh, he's certainly going to get a statue uh, in the, the Northwest for what he did for the Seahawks. Is he a Hall of Famer? Ooh, like a, a pro football Hall of Famer. Yes. So is that that is separate from the College Football Hall of Fame. It right? is. There is a separate College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, the class going in is Alex Smith and Randy Moss and others this okay. year, but it is it is separate. You know, then yes, I think yes, and I because it's kind of funny, right? Because when you talk about like Hall of Fames for other sports, like in basketball, for example, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, and you do kind of take into account what players do in college and overseas and in the Olympics and at the FIBA World Cup and and uh, you know at the World Championships and all these kinds of things. Where it's not really like that for for football and the NFL and and the NCAA. So even though Pete Carroll, some of his biggest accomplishments come with USC, I I do think he is. Probably a, a Hall of Famer. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? I, you know what? I, I think I would also say yes what? because he is. He he seems to be like a relatively beloved figure around the NFL. Like yeah, the defense kind of fell off in the last couple of years, but super long tenured head coach. Players seem to love him, and I know that's that shouldn't be the only criteria because you and I've had that Hall of Fame co- conversation before. But he just seems to check all the boxes for what someone wants, even if he hasn't necessarily revolutionized a specific play or a specific way of playing. Uh, I, I also did see that, I guess, like he, some people are saying he is technically not eligible to be in the college football hall of fame because like you had to coach in the college for like 10 years and he coached in the college for nine years or something, which seems like a wild distinction considering he won with USC, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. If, maybe he, maybe now that he is not coaching in the NFL, he can go back and coach USC for one more year and, yeah, and get like, in there. It's like those people who go back and get those credits yeah, to finish yeah. up their degree. Uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, it's someone who's certainly eligible to be in the college football hall of fame is Nick Saban. There's a bunch of wild stats in terms of his tenure uh, there. You know, 292 wins, you know, a couple undefeated seasons in 2009, 2020 only coach to do that more than once. Coach 44 first-round picks in comparison to having just 29 losses Oof. in his 17 years. Coach four Heisman winners, none of which I would arguably I would argue were like some of his best players. Like, I mean, no disrespect to Devonta Smith or Derrick Henry um, or Bryce Young, but you know, they, there's so many great players or, or Mark Ingram. So many great players to come through there. It was it was interesting which ones actually won the Heisman. But I think the most impressive thing is that no matter who went there, everyone won a championship. Yeah. And not an SEC title. This is the stat that jumps out to me. Every single player that played four years for him won at least one national championship. Wow. So when he went into your <laughs> living crazy. room and recruited, he guaranteed you're going to get a national championship. Not an SEC championship, which is basically as hard, but a national championship. So I, I, that's, that's wild. Uh, that's my Saban uh, staff in, you know, 10 wins for 16 straight years. And people forget how bad of a spot the program was in when he got there. It, 
he changed everything, changed the culture, changed when classes started to better align with when he wanted his football camps to start. So um, Saban is uh, a football legend. Well, here's my question on Saban for you, Mm -hmm. Donovan, because I I will not pretend to be particularly savvy when it comes to the world of college football, but Mm -hmm. now that Saban is gone, Mm -hmm. and I've seen a lot of people say, oh, the Alabama vacancy is now the most attractive of all the various vacancies. It's the most attractive vacancy in football, which I think is probably true because of the, it's like a blue blood program and, and a lot of, a lot of high ranked recruits go there, but doesn't that, doesn't that change now that he is no longer there? Like is, aren't blue, aren't the blue blood programs, the blue blood programs largely because of the long, long tenured cut coaches. Like if he, if they replace Nick Saban with I don't I don't even know honestly like Deion Sanders I don't know who knows that would be really fun honestly but like they replace him with literally anyone like you know what I mean like does it does, does, is it still attractive like, isn't it only attractive because of Nick Saban Mike Norvell leaves FSU to go Alabama which is one of the many names that's been rumored maybe you have Dion going back to FSU but I think FSU is a great example because after Bobby Bowden they've had a bunch of different people at FSU. They haven't had the same level of consistent success. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher won a title, and Mike Norvell will tell himself that if he was put in the college football playoff, they would have won a title, even though they would have been stomped. But, yeah, I don't know if you want to be the guy that comes after the guy. You want to be the guy that comes after the guy that comes after the guy. So whether it is Danny Lanning or Dabo Sweeney or all of the different people who have been mentioned to – come into Alabama uh, just because it has been Alabama doesn't mean it will continue to be Alabama. That's like, why won't all the recruits just be like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to decommit. I'm going to go play for some, some other head coach. Top wide receiver already decommitted as soon as it happened. There you go. Which is why these things are tough to do them clean because if you do it early, there's some uncertainty in how do you recruit right. all year knowing that that coach is going to leave, things are going to change. And then if you leave at the last second, relatively, like in, in this case, well, then you can have kids who committed to play for Saban now leaving, and then there's a bit chaos, which is why it's difficult to have continuity unless someone on the staff is remaining. And so you could assume things would be the same. Ryan Day staying at Ohio State after Urban Meyer left being the greatest example. Before we get out of here, I want to ask you about uh, stat for the coach of your favorite NFL team, uh, who certainly will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a first ballot entrant as soon as he is eligible, and who I would actually love to be in a booth calling games mm. with Nick Saban. Imagine them just That'd talking football. I, I, I suspect he'll be on a sideline uh, coaching uh, at, now that his 24-year run with the Patriots is over. That would obviously be Bill Belichick. And here's a stat for him. 31 NHL franchises, so every other team other than the Patriots, have had a combined 213 coaches in the time that Bill was running things in New England. The NFL stands for not for long. So, yes, the nine Super Bowls, six Super Bowl titles, all of that impressive. But I think it's also impressive that he was in that job and the sport has changed so much. There's been so much change around him, and he has been that constant. I am sad that Bill is no longer going to be coaching the Patriots just because you mentioned all those head coaches that other teams have employed in the same period he's been working for the Patriots. Uh, I think Patriots fans are going to experience 
<laughs> what it's like when you enter a, a time period of, of turmoil a little bit here. And I, mean, I know they did before Belichick in the, but this is like, you know, in the eighties and nineties, for example, but boy, it's, it's a, uh, this is a guy who I think had something a little bit left to give from a coaching perspective, if not a GM perspective. And uh, you know, the Patriots still, even with all their injuries, still had a pretty good defensive unit. The offense obviously was horrific this season. So Wherever wherever Belichick goes, I think is he has a chance to still be a very good coach. It's just, it's it's. Don't you think it's going to have to be with like a, a somewhat ready made veteran roster? Like I feel like I, I can't imagine him going to coach like the Panthers or something and and trying to break Don Shula's record. Like it has to be somewhere where the quarterback is probably already in place. Some offensive line pieces. The offense can't be doesn't have to be tinkered with too much, and he can do his thing on defense. Like I, I wonder if Bel- Bel- Belichick has a chance to do the funniest thing, and uh, maybe Mike McCarthy lays an egg on Sunday, and uh, he gets fired, and Jerry Jones goes out and brings old Bill in. Jerry Jones brought in Bill Parcells. Yeah, sure. and it, as much as they didn't end up getting it done, Bill Parcells has talked positively about his experience with. A, Jerry Jones, so you never know. And if you want control, well, there is no GM he has to answer to in Dallas. The GM is the owner. Right. It's Jerry Jones. So if you are persuasive enough to convince Jerry Jones that your ideas are, in fact, his ideas, you can do whatever you want and not have (laughs) the same level of scrutiny. You know what I want just for the headlines? All right. Bill Belichick at an opening press conference as the new head coach in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Imagine, like, we're just continuing to run this thing. I get to recruit. I get to do whatever I want. I get to deflate gate, spy gate. What's the NCAA going to do to me? I would do, do we have hoodies with an A on them that I can wear? Is it too hot to wear a hoodie that's cut off? I, I think they have the, actually all of them, Nick Saban and Belichick, have the chance to do the best thing. And they, they both go play or coach for the Atlanta Falcons and then lure Tom Brady out of retirement. That's what I, that's what I, that's what I really want to see happen. Belichick coaching, Nick Saban's is DC. Brady's the, the QB and he's thrown to, to Kyle Pitts and Drake London and B. John Robinson. Well, maybe that's there. Maybe Jim that's Harbaugh's a, the OC. <laughs> yeah, it's just exactly. the NWO <laughs> going to Atlanta. Yeah, it would, it would be the best. Listen, I, I look forward to seeing it. Whatever happens with these coaches, uh, I suspect you'll be talking about it on, Sportsnet throughout the day and night, because that's what you do, writing for us at sportsnet.ca and uh, booking guests for me to ask stupid questions to them about it on this very podcast. So thank you, show. Thank you, Donovan. That's it for Going Deep. Make sure to listen, favorite, share, subscribe. Uh, and make sure to, as I mentioned, go to sportsnet.ca slash NFL. Check out Cho's column. It is really strong. Or if you don't want to type in all of that in your browser, just go to the show notes of this very podcast. The article is hyperlinked there. Thanks for listening.